0: Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement. That's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is episode 153. The day is January 15th, year of our Lord, 2023, Dr. Martin Luther King Day. It is a special day in American history. It's a special day politically. We got caucuses happening in Iowa tomorrow. My my John Frederick radio show, um, my radio show, the Royce White Show, has been postponed to premiere tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern time on the John Frederick Radio Network. Uh, because of of caucuses and all the coverage that's taking place there so uh, tune in tomorrow night on the John Fredericks radio network to hear the the premiere of the Royce white radio show it will be one hour to be doing daily uh, so that that is now here but we're going to continue the podcast as scheduled as well you can watch the you can listen to the radio show and then come to the podcast uh, shortly thereafter so um, it's a special week its a special day special time in American history um, my main message today about Dr. Martin Luther King Day is this,
1: our entire American political culture has been dominated by
0: identity politics. Identity, that has become the the modus operandi of the establishment. And the, the, the saddest part about it is, really it's, it's predatory. Really, it's exploitive. Really, they're they're trying to take advantage of an identity uh, an, an, an identity crisis that they themselves have manufactured. And you can look at the internet. You can look at the advent of social media as the the uh, the cornerstone of of the effort to move American politics towards identity politics, and and to move American culture towards identity politics. Everybody's obsessed with their own identity. Everybody's been given the tools, been given the technology to become their own main character in their own movie. And we celebrate it. And it's not that you shouldn't, you shouldn't have some sense of boundary between self and the outside world or yourself and others and the importance of yourself and others, but, but not without context, not in isolation. And too many of us walk around uh, you know, and, and have this image of ourselves in a context that has nothing to do with anybody else. That's the only way you can, you can, that's the only way you can make sense of and justify watching what's happening to the country and not getting involved ahead of, of, of caucuses today, not being involved, not understanding the political process. The identity of politics has, has, the identity of politics has replaced the real substance of politics, which is policy, which is the political process itself. And understanding the political process, understanding the policies that are important uh, uh, of the day. America first, we're the extremists, we're the radicals, we're the racists. White supremacy, boogeyman white supremacy. And I'm sure they're going to shove it down your throat today. On Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Day, they're gonna try, they're gonna try and represent a man who was a Baptist reverend. They're gonna let people who completely reject God and even mock Christ and the very story and foundation of the Christian worldview, they're gonna try and represent themselves as as, as people
2: in the same light as Dr. Martin Luther King. They're going to try and
0: present themselves as, as fighters of freedom and justice and civil rights, the same as Dr. Martin Luther King. And this, this entire civil rights movement, the whole movement has become cross with the, the, the politics of today. Although they use those politics, and that's my point, they're using your identity, they're using your crisis of identity, they're using your lack of identity, they're using your lack of understanding of history to take your rights in your own name. You black people out there are having your rights systematically taken from you in your own name. In the name of the icons of the movement that was, was, was meant to give
1: you more rights.
0: They're getting you to open the door. They're getting you to open the gates for them. You're letting the enemy in. And let's be, let's be frank, they're already in. It is not, it's not going to happen. It's already begun. They've already invaded. You have to understand right now that the, the enemy is within the walls. The federal government is in your home, and your rights are now being subject to tyranny. And they're doing it in your name. They're getting you to invite
1: them in. The civil
0: rights movement, Dr. Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King fought for civil rights. They fought for the right to vote. They fought for the right to be considered an American citizen, to have an honest day's work, an honest day's wage. They fought for the right to be a part, to be seen as a legitimate, legitimate people in the context of American citizenship,
1: not to give up their citizenship. And they certainly weren't willing to trade their citizenship for their faith in God. That wasn't a part of Martin Luther King's message. We have an entire liberal
0: political culture consisting of neocons and neoliberals, the uniparty, Democrats and Republicans that is completely antithetical to anything the civil rights movement stood for. The civil rights movement was anti-war. The civil rights movement was, was anti-racism. The civil rights movement was, was about giving you rights,
1: not
2: taking your rights. We have a pro-war, anti-rights,
0: and still greatly racist, political elite. And I said earlier today on Twitter, Amy Klobuchar, per this DEI, this DEI ethical and moral standard, this new DEI moral and ethical standard that the Democrats and the republic I mean, the Democrats and the liberals and the progressives and all these other people, uh, you know, live by, supposedly, Amy Klobuchar should resign. She should resign from the, she should drop out of this Senate race in just enough time for me to be elected to the United States Senate. Well, why why does Amy Klobuchar get to cover her white privilege? Why why, why does she get to keep hers? She's running against a young black man who's oppressed and cheated by the guilty white system. So why does she get to stay? I mean, what it shows you is that, and we know that she wouldn't do that. And I say that to be sarcastic and facetious. But I say it as a real example to, to help show everybody out there just how dishonest these people's, you know, th- th- these, these ideas are. How illogical the worldview is. How one-sided the worldview is. This is one-sided. This is Black Lives Matter if they vote Democrat. This is, this is equality if it gets us to the end result we want. If it equals the sum total we desire politically. The entire identity emphasis in America's culture is all predicated on political, political ambition. It's political. And that's why it's called identity politics. And you'll hear the liberal establishment media go, identity politics, oh, this is a dog whistle for racism from, from conservatives and, and, and Uncle Toms, as they would call me, or darlings of the far right or whatever. No. No. No, the emphasis on identity is all based on politics. It's not based on, they don't care about black people. They don't care about black people. I'm showing you. Well, why wouldn't Amy Klobuchar just give her Senate seat up to me? It's not about black people. It's not about minorities. It's not about Hispanics. It's not about... Uh, you know, Africans or, or Middle Easterns or, or, you know, Somalis or, 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 or the Asian people. It's not about Native Americans, indigenous. It's not about women. It ain't even about the LGBTQ. Although somehow they've made it to the top of the totem pole, which says something in and of itself, but it's not even really about them. These people will use whatever form of identity they need to in order to achieve the outcome that they want. It's all a part of the process. You're all cannon fodder. You're all cannon fodder in their their endeavors, their agendas, their ambitions. Identity has become the flavor of the day. And you're all supposed to love it. You're supposed to love it because you've been predisposed to love it because you all have your your own little Hollywood motion picture going on on social media. You're all the star in your own movie now. Your truth. Your truth is center stage. Your truth independent of anybody else's truth. You want to live in a community, a global community, where everybody's living their own truth? You want to live in a global society, in a global citizenry, where every individual citizen just exists in their own individual truth?
2: How does that work? How do you have a community with well being, with,
0: with peace and love and support for one another, with unity, some resemblance of, of unity, when everybody's
1: living in their own independent fantasy?
0: None of this stuff even makes any sense. But they're going to come out today on stage, under the lights at the podium, and use. Dr. Martin Luther King to justify this
1: illogical worldview, this illogical agenda, these illogical politics, how far we have fallen, the content and character, Dr. Martin Luther King,
0: not by accident he was co-opted, but it's not just him. And he was co-opted and the civil rights movement was co-opted and he understood it. The other America, the speech, the other America, I should run it today. Maybe I will run it today after the podcast is over. Maybe the first hour I'll do, I'll do one hour here and I'll get to the, and then the last hour I'm just going to download the other America and put, put, put that right in. And you listen to the speech that actually got Dr. Martin Luther King killed in many people's opinion. And I would agree because the other America got away from the
2: identity politics and started to strike at the heart of the economics.
0: There are two Americas is what, Donald, is what, is what Martin Luther King said. And it's what Do- Donald Trump is saying too. I had a little Freudian slip there, but it is what Donald Trump is saying. There are two Americas. And Do- Donald Trump, and I think Vivek Ramaswamy is making a huge, huge mistake. We're not, we're not separating Donald Trump from the ideas. We understand that the ideas are not, are not bound to any one individual. That's just basic. That, that's basic logic. Of course, none of the ideas, borders, the national debt, uh, uh, forever wars, the, the elections, uh, trade. Uh, Etc. None of them are bound to one individual. The ideas are greater than Donald Trump. But we're not, we're not, we're not detaching the ideas from the man that they mean to make an example out of because of the ideas. That's not the appropriate response. When an establishment wants to piss on your head and tell you it's raining and mock you, the appropriate response is to remain steadfast in our support of somebody, even if they are flawed, because we're all flawed and all Christians understand that. And that's part of the reason why the evangelical support for Donald Trump continues to rise. It's not racism. It's because Christians, by by nature, understand that we are flawed, so they're not going to let some yuppie, omnisexual, uptight, up on a high horse, political, cultural elite, scientific, managerial elite, try and tell them that this man is unfit for office because of his flaws like they themselves don't have him, which many of them think they don't. When you watch Van Jones and Rachel Maddow and Don Lemon and all these other fucking clowns on on primetime television talk like their shit don't stink, and one by one they all get clipped out. Don Lemon,
1: gone. Uh, Cuomo, gone.
0: It, it'll be another couple of weeks for van jones is 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 you know uh, you know sexually harassing some 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 male uh in 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 the workplace gone and the list goes on and on and on and on and on
1: on and on and on and on it, it's it's just a matter of time because they 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 start from a place that's so
0: it, it just is so unrealistic to begin with. Of course, they gotta fire you when you show that you're human, and we don't even know if any if any of the stuff or the allegations against them is true. That's not the point. It doesn't have to be true, because you've created such a a high standard for for moral and ethical superiority, and we're trying to we're trying to run a racket here that that assumes a position of of moral and ethical high ground, as soon as you transgress it in the slightest way, even by perception, doesn't matter if you're guilty or not, the presumption of guilt is an afterthought, you got to go. And that's what all you Marxist
1: and communist sheep are in for.
0: And the Christians are radical? The Christians are radical, but, but we're going to hang and lynch people. We're going we're gonna to witch hunt people based on the perception, not the reality. And you'll hear a lot of these these liberal mainstream media industrial complex corporatists talk about the perception and the reality as though the reality is, is, you know, is is neither here nor there. Doesn't matter what the reality is. All that matters is what the perception is. Perception, identity crisis, identity politics. Do you follow me? Are you understanding the world they've created? The
1: world we've accepted.
0: We're not disconnecting the ideas from Donald Trump. We, we understand he's, he's the example. They mean to set. JFK, they blew his head off. Now they're, they're not going to assassinate Donald Trump. They're trying to assassinate his character at a level where he becomes uh, ineffective.
1: And we're supposed to bow out? Vivek, this is a huge, huge mistake on your part. We're supposed to bow out?
0: And, and, and not vote for him because of what the deep state will do or is trying to do. If the deep state and all the other allied forces are collaborating to try and take Donald Trump out, it's even more reason we should vote for him. Let the record reflect. Let the record reflect that we stood in opposition with sacred honor. We didn't run. We didn't punt. We didn't we didn't make some 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 concession or accommodation. We stood and, and, and we, we bear witness.
1: And we're ready to pay the ultimate price if need be.
0: But refuse to get on your knees. I'm not going to get on the knees on my knees. And suck these people off as they load the bullet to execute us in their little Marxist fucking global agenda. I'm not doing it. And to be quite honest, anybody who says vote for anybody other than Donald Trump is doing that at this point. It's very clear it's not about Donald Trump. It's about the fact that the establishment and the government think that they're big enough to bully the people. They believe they're big enough to bully the people. They believe they can they can they can propagandize a big enough portion of people to keep them neutral or out of the process completely. They can, they can propagandize enough people to, to, to mislead people's involvement in the process and they can, they can scare the rest of us.
1: They can, they can scare the rest of us into
0: submission. None of this is the appropriate response to what, what's going on here in this country. None of it. None of that is the appropriate response. None, we're, we're, we're voting for Donald Trump in 2024. I don't even want to hear anything else. All you people need to drop out of the race now. If you want to be vice president, get your vice president bid ready and leave it at that. But all this other shit is bullshit. I'm sick
1: of it.
2: Cut the shit.
1: Identity politics is being used here at home just like it's being used
2: abroad. The, the, the leadership we need now is going to have to is going to have
0: to navigate the darkest forest any leaders ever been in in this country's history and this nation's history the the, the 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 questions that need be asked the questions that are going to be need to need to be asked and the answers that are going to need to be found is going to be a darker journey than any leaders ever faced in this country why because we live in a society that is currently in a gordian knot There
1: is a Gordian knot we created.
0: There is a sin in here that is not racism. Don't let these black bourgeois intellectual elites tell you that you should trade your American citizenship for global citizenship because the original sin of America is predicated in racism. The sin was not racism. The sin was a globalist business model that had been distilled down from empire to empire, black, white, and other. And the mechanisms and strategies of empire had come down to the crown and the British empire of which the sun never sets, and they still are running the show today. And we here in America, our founding fathers, but even more so, our nation of shopkeepers had had a choice, had the option to defect not only from the crown's rule, but from the crown's business model, and we punted on the second one. We rebelled, we revolted against their rule, but we adopted the business model. And in that adoption of the business model, we subjected ourselves to the four sins that cry out for vengeance, like A.J. Barker said on Friday night. There are four sins that cry out for vengeance, and our, our, our adoption of this business
2: model led us into a, a, a an ocean of all of them.
0: But mainly the two of the economic variety, but you could make a case for the first two as well. The four sins that cry out for justice, that cry to heaven for justice, murder,
1: sodomy, oppression of the poor, Cheating a man out of his wages.
0: So you see how a Protestant nation who wanted to emphasize scripture has found themselves crossed with the word from the word go. How it's hard to simultaneously hold the two views that that capitalism and that that free market enterprise that at any and all cost could ever coexist with the Christian worldview. These are the dark questions we're going to have to answer. And we're going to have to come up with some damn good answers. Because you have to go back now, because the sins that crowd for justice have a four-generation, a four-generation four incubation period, you could say. We're going to have to go back now and identify where we lost our way. And we're going to have to undo that. And we're gonna to have to undo that in culture and spirit, but we're also gonna to have to undo it in legislation. If we, we wanna call
1: ourselves a Christian nation, if we wanna say we're fighting the, 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 the Christian fight, that's
0: certainly the identity politics they're gonna use around the world. That's the, that's the identity politics that, I mean, imagine. Imagine people who don't believe in God try and tell you that we're going to go fight another forever war in the Middle East against the Houthis or Hezbollah or Hamas or Iranians or whoever else. We're going to go fight a forever war on a religious and holy basis. All of these people
1: are unholy. In fact, many of them are Satanists.
0: And they're going to tell you that we're fighting the war against Muslims to protect the interests of West and and Christianity?
1: That's blasphemous.
0: (coughs) That's blasphemy. Uh, Senator, uh, I mean, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, and any of these other people, line them up, show them one by one, line them
1: up. Show me a person that isn't a
0: complete laughing stock. That, that, that it isn't a complete gag reel to say that they're engaged in this, this military-industrial complex endeavor on a holy and religious basis against the Muslim world.
2: It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You got two groups of people. One
0: group of people is a Western, neutered, secular, political and cultural elite who have rejected God completely and mock Christ and mock Christians. You have that group of people who are using Christianity as a justification to go to war and fight for a split, fight for a split against another group of people who have taken their religion and perverted it. Perverted it to a point of of demonic, I would say. You got two bad guys fighting each other and we want to pick a side. Our side is America first. No more forever wars. We're not here to fight. Hey, listen, to the, listen to the rhetoric about the, 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 the Suez Canal and the, this whole Houthi, uh you know, uh, Ye- Yemen, you know, sh- missile strike, the whole deal. They're telling you right out in the open, this is about business. This is about business. We told you before this war wasn't about religion. It's not about faith. It's not about ideology. It's about business.
1: And you don't know the layers upon
0: layers and the the players upon players that are involved here. None of us do. But it's safe to assume it's much bigger than any of us can really fathom. That the interests that are working there on that game of risk, that global game of risk, are, are really hard and almost silly for us to try and pinpoint. But we can look at the result and first some motive. We can draw out some motive and we can look at some talking heads and puppets who step up on the stage and the podium under the light and start to give us this this spiel. This bullshit spiel, this bullshit propaganda of of what this war is about. This war ain't about a difference in religion, a difference in faith. This war is about business. This war is about trade routes. uh, Secretary of State Blinken said it.
1: This, this waterway, this
0: choke point, this, this, uh, this corridor is too important to, to global trade, to the global economy. So retaliation will be an option. It is on the table. And more, more military action is on the
2: table. So we have to go back. And to, again, again,
0: you th- do you think that the Europeans don't understand the, the, the danger of the rise of the, the people? Of course they understand. But the problem with aristocratic elites is they always have too much convenience, too much affluence. They have too much luxury in their life that keeps them distracted from the necessary choices they need to make to defend what it is that they have in the end. That's why people always rise up and overthrow their leaders when they become tyrannical and, and d- disconnected from the reality in the street. And it has been that way in Europe for a long time. You think Marie Antoinette and, and, and that, that crew, you think they didn't understand that the, 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 there was unrest in the people?
2: Of course they knew. Of course they knew. Their elitist life was
0: offering too much convenience and distraction for them to for them to properly identify and do what needed to be done to, to, to create peace. And there's always going to be a certain level of unrest that exists between people who govern and people who are governed. Because there's a natural desire to want to test the boundary of freedom and subjugation. That, that's, a, that's an axiomatic. That's an axiom of of, of that dynamic between, between those who rule and those who are ruled. And right now, what they've done to you is they found a way to subjugate you. You're not the top priority. You're low on the totem pole. The amount of resources that they need to spend in order to keep you on the gravy train is marginal. It's a rounding error. In fact, the entire Western economy that's predicated on a free market enterprise and trade and and entrepreneurship is all, you could argue that it's all meant to do this. That all of these goods and services and things that they create are meant to to offer more and more distraction. And you can see that the productivity in America has leaned that way. So there's even, there's evidence of it. And how much of it actually makes your life better? fundamentally better? How much of it makes you healthier? How much of it gives you more well-being? How much of it gives you more self-governance? Some of it, some of it does, some of it doesn't, a vast amount of it doesn't, an increasing amount of it doesn't. They're not worried about you. The cost to keep you subjugated, the cost to keep you happy is lower than ever. It's more efficient than ever. It's those radical Muslims we got to worry about. It's those radical Muslims that say we don't want to be westernized. The LGBTQ advocates couldn't survive in our way of life and in our part of the world. They couldn't survive in our communities. We don't allow that. We have harsh penalties for such matters. Those are the people
1: that they really have to get rid of.
0: And it's it's damn sad. It's damn sad that a perverted that a perversion of of God's law, that a perversion of faith practice would rise up to be the dominant faction of faith practice that the globalist and anti-God elite want to take out.
1: But you're watching a war between two bad guys.
0: You're watching a war between two bad guys, and we want to pick a side and we're falling into the same trap that we fell in before. We wanna pick a side that looks like us. We wanna pick a side that sounds like us. We wanna pick a side that, that has the same interests as we do. How about no side? How about we let the Europeans fight their own war? How about we let the European aristocrats
1: reap what they sow?
0: There is a certain level, drugs, piracy, slavery. The the war that we're fighting now stems from the the place in history, the the moment in history, the Gordian Gordian knot that we face today where the Europeans want to live without borders. The convenience of their life, the convenience of their way of life, the the poshness of their life, the, the luxury of the aristocratic European elite is something that, that cannot continue without the extractions of material resources well beyond their borders. And you wonder why they want a global citizenry. They want a global citizenry because they don't want to have to go back to living off the lands of what,
1: what Europe provides alone.
0: You hear Barbara Streisand saying, I'm going to move to I'm gonna to move to, to England. I like England. I'm sure you do like England. Let's see how much you'll like England when the, when, the European, when the European Union is cut off from the resources that they've been pirating from everywhere else in the world. Then we'll see how much you can stand England. You and Stephen Colbert, we'll send you to, we'll send you to Dark Ages England. Let's see how 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 quick you cry out for America and Donald Trump. And there's a difference. There is a difference. America was pulled into globalization by a political and aristocratic European elite. We never needed it. We never needed globalization. Everything that we need, we have here. Europe needs globalization. Europe needs the resources there in the Middle East. Europe needs the resources there in Asia. Europe needs the resources in South America. Europe needs the resources in the heartland, in the Ukraine.
1: America doesn't. But yet,
0: but yet we're willing to, we're willing to let the European edifice, the European cultural elite convince us that we should give our sons and daughters and blood and tax money so that they can live aristocratic on the basis of what? Because we speak the same language?
1: Because our founding fathers that
2: revolted looked the same as the monarchs they revolted against?
0: This is a revolutionary republic. We revolted. We are not European. This is what makes the Nick Fuentes is stupid. The only white identity that you can congregate, the only white identity you could aggregate is a European identity. The only whiteness you could speak of with any real substance is a European identity, which isn't an identity, which is why it hasn't upheld anything up until this point. It's been constant war against the, the, the ideas that have been built because the identity was used to backstop the ideas and it was never valid. It is not valid.
1: And the, the, the main reason it's not valid in the
0: context of America versus a, a, a Great Britain who we're collaborating with. To, to I mean, you understand what I'm saying? When they say America and the, Ukra- the, the, the UK, not the Ukraine, when they say America and the UK carried out missile strikes in Yemen, we're still shilling for the crown. We're still protecting European interests.
1: Only for the Europeans to
0: let unconstrained amounts of illegal immigrants into their country? Yeah, Europe is in danger of being overrun. And and that's that sort of psychosomatic guilt that exists in the European mindset of of this posh luxury that they know they live in. At the behest of other people and their natural resources. And it's only a matter of time before those people rise up, whether those people be righteous or not. Because revolution isn't always righteous. That's another thing we get mixed up. We get mixed up that the people who oppress others, be, be, because of their oppression by default, that the revolutionaries are righteous. No, revolution in and of itself against oppressors is always righteous. That doesn't mean the people are righteous. And the people's lack of righteousness can certainly de- denigrate, can certainly degrade the righteousness of the overall revolution. That's my opinion. You could argue that, but hey, If we're 10 murderers and we've been oppressed, but we've been raping and murdering, if we rise up against our oppressors, we're still rapists and murderers. And that's a
1: cautionary tale for for posh, yuppie Europe.
2: But it's also a cautionary tale for us. They're in danger of being overrun.
0: Because the convenience won't let them, they, they can't find their way back to a, a, a basic way of living that isn't beyond their borders. They have no borders. They have no boundaries. They're running into the same fucking problem they did at the fall
1: of the Roman Empire. When you have
0: no boundaries, when your mind has no boundaries, when your ambition is unfettered, it has no boundaries to it, you cannot, you cannot Continue to prosper. The only way you can have a prosperous existence in this life is you, is you have healthy boundaries around your unfettered ambitions, your unfettered obsession with your own identity. This is the, this is the, real, this is the real gem of, 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 of psychosocial science and a term like narcissism. These people are narcissistic. Grossly, obscenely narcissistic. They think the world revolves around the way that they want to live. And they think what, the, the Houthis and the Yemenis are just gonna bow down forever in perpetuity? You think some young Yemeni from, you know, who's 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 now gonna bring the wrath of a fourth a fourth generation vengeance against the sins that cry out for vengeance, you think, you think he's just gonna continue to, to take his his little piece of the pot and and you know with a smile on his face? Are you people dumb? You people must have lost your fucking mind. Well guess what? We we want out. The American of America first, we want out. We want out of this Atlantic Charter. We want out of this transnational uh, you know, European American alliance. We want out of the Allied forces. We want out of the crown's business model.
1: We want out of the drugs, piracy, and slavery business model. We don't need it. They do. We are in a geopolitical,
0: geographical, Gordian knot. First and foremost, perpetuated by European intellectuals, academics,
2: and aristocrats. We do not need these people.
0: We are Americans. We are Americans. We have everything we need right here. And it's been that way since time immemorial. We never needed them. And that was where we failed. That was where our original sin was. And we need to go back and
2: fix that. We didn't need drugs, piracy, and slavery. And all you black folks out there today on Dr. Martin Luther King Day that are going to let
0: people tell you to trade your American citizenship for global citizenship, are you kidding me? I was saying it to my friend the other day. You, you, you pan-Africanists or, who, or whoever, whoever. Your most important identity now is your national identity because we're about to fight a war. Wars are fought between nations. So you could become some rogue, nomad, non-identifying member of whatever place you live in if you want to. But just don't act like we all should follow that that, that bullshit
1: worldview. Don't act like we all should should, you know, should
0: concede our citizenship for for global citizenship or some, some, you know, nihilistic narrative about our own, our own national identity. Please step right up to the fucking plate. Let's discuss it. Let's discuss it. Step right on up to the microphone. I would love to talk about it with anybody. Saw a video of a man, you know, one of these, one of these you know, uh, Pan-Africanists and he was criticizing another black man in the street who appeared to be a Hebrew-Israelite type of guy. Um, He had the the Hebrew-Israelite brigalia on. And he was criticizing him, saying, "You you letting a white man's book
1: verify your DNA.
0: You letting a white man's book prove your DNA. And then he proceeded to say, there's no scientific evidence. And right there, I just, right away, I understood that generation upon generation, decades of this misinformation and this crooked, perverted, illogical, political worldview have been, have been dispersed all through, all through America, all through black communities
1: on Martin Luther King Day. First off,
0: Christianity's not a white man's religion. Christianity was in the con- on the continent of Europe before it was on the co- it was on the continent of Africa before it was on the continent of Europe. Christianity was in Africa before it was in Europe.
1: But what does that even really matter?
0: It's a matter of fact, but what does it really even matter? Like I said before, as soon as you get around the the the, the Mediterranean all sense of identity becomes blurred anyway. But the, the point I'm making here is, how can, you in, how can you in good conscience make an argument, start from a basis where a book is now illegitimate because of the, 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 the racial history of its, of its prominence, its, its rise to prominence like the Hebrew Bible, even though it's the Hebrew Bible, how can you try and discredit a 6,000-year-old oral and written tradition, but then you refer to scientific evidence with a straight face. I mean, tell me where in the world post-industrial revolution that, that science hasn't become a, a racket monopolized by white European aristocrats. Show me where. Just show me where this scientific data exists that's, that's untainted by white people.
1: White liberals, the white neoliberal order, the white neocon neoliberal order, the white European uh, uh,
0: globalists, new world order. Tell me where science has not been tainted, has not been touched by that system. So what scientific evidence is this brother talking about? The scientific evidence that put a mask on you again, the scientific evidence that 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 gave research to gain a function that that led to a pandemic. The scientific research that had you standing six feet away from each other, but now Dr. Fauci admits to the Congress that the six foot social distancing just came out of nowhere. That scientific evidence.
2: But the, but the Bible is, is persona non grata. Huh? And you
0: may, you may wonder why I even bring that point up. I'm trying to show you that, the, you know, the, the, the two sides of controlled opposition here. Yeah, there are the Nick Fuentes out there who, who openly and, 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 and almost braggadociously try and bring race to the highest level of the, of the political discourse. As a distraction and a safeguard to keep black people and other minority groups, other people of other racial racial categories from joining the people's movement and rebelling against the establishment. Yeah, those Nick Fuentes types, they exist. But on the other side, there's some of you black folks out there who are peddling the same narrative. Because when you talk about DNA and genetics as the sole basis of 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 uh, of human organization, you are racist. I don't care if you're black, white, yellow, or green.
1: If the color of your skin, if the
0: color of your skin or the the history of your genetic lineage is the sole basis of how you want to organize human beings or society, you, my friend, are a
1: racist.
2: Identity
1: on Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Identity is what's being
0: used to take your rights. Identity politics has become the flavor of the day. This is is the main distraction from what
1: we really should be focused on.
0: And we should be focused on them trying to take Donald Trump off the ballot as a as a message, as a message about the ideas. Oh, you still think you're citizens? You still think you have rights? You still think there's a border? You still think you have a, a, a right to representation? Come tax time, you still think your tax your tax your taxation d- deserves representation? Oh, you people are living in a relic. We about to we are about to show you. We're about to show you what power looks like. We're about to show. We're about to call your bluff. And some of these Republican presidential candidates want us to, to bend the knee. Don't threaten. Don't tell me that the deep state is gonna is not gonna allow Donald Trump on, and that's why I should I should I should what, throw in the white
2: flag. Vivek, Come on, man. You you stop. Just cut the shit, okay? Cut the shit.
0: If the deep state wants to send me a message, we send them one right back. And the message we send back is not we're going to dance around you. We're going to try and maneuver around you. We're not maneuvering around you. We're coming straight down the fucking middle. Now what Vivek and these other Republican candidates for president need to be doing or should be doing is telling American citizens how to get involved in the
2: political process. That, that's obvious.
0: Not perpetuating a, a, a lie that, that the system is rigged. The system is rigged, but most of the rigging is done through propaganda that makes people believe that the, the, the politics are not, you know, consequential, that, they, that they're, you know, Neither here nor there. Politics are decided by the people who show up, take it from somebody who's involved in the process. I can tell you, I've been in a a congressional district convention where they endorse a congressional district candidate. I've been at a congressional district debate where they have two neocons up on stage and the one guy who has hesitancy about big pharma is treated like a schmuck by the boomer cons in the room. I've been in a a, a state central committee where the rules are made for caucuses. I've seen a gubernatorial candidate uh, be, you know, be railroaded at a state convention or attempted to be railroaded at a state convention from the, the special interest groups and the donor money in the party. I've seen it all happen. So I can tell you that politics is decided most of the time by the people who show up. And it's decided in places right there in a theater near you, right in an auditorium near you. And you never even know that it takes place. And it's done that way intentionally. You don't know about it because they don't want you to know about it. That's the number one way the system is rigged. That the, the, the times and places where decisions are made about this country's future happen without your knowledge. And without your knowledge, it happens without your participation. And without your participation, you are nothing more than an empty vessel politically in this country. And that's the truth. That's the truth. You all and you know, all of these organizations, all of them want to act like, you know, they could, you know, well, we don't, we, don't, we don't really get involved in politics. Jason Whitlock's of the world never voted in a presidential, never voted, never voted. And says he
1: has no plan to vote. Voting don't matter, right? It just you know, well, I mean, what kind of five hundred one C three scam is that? Voting don't matter, I'm, just, I'm not voting. Wow.
2: Wow. Okay. But then you're going to call me a plant. You're
0: telling you're telling the American people, American citizens, that they're. Their most fundamental right, their most fundamental role in being an American citizen, they should forego. And even if you say they should vote, but you're not voting, you know, lead by example. (laughs) That's how the saying goes. Um, When you say you're not voting, it kind of sends a signal that voting doesn't matter. We're going to tell American citizens in his dark, in the dark, in the dark. We're going to tell American citizens in their darkest hour, in the nation's darkest hour, that the cornerstone of
1: American citizenship is uh, neither here nor there.
0: And I've heard the excuses. I've heard it a million times before. The, the elections are rigged. The, the system is rigged. The, the I don't give a fuck about any of that. We have to fix that. We have to fix that. But before we can fix that, we have, to, we have to get somebody in office who's willing to fix it. And if that means we all have to vote on the
1: day of the election, same day,
0: same day voting. Let's get clear about it. I'm just going to throw one out there because I was, we, it's too much back and forth in the movement. Uh, we uh, Bank the ballot, ballot harvesting. They want to. They want to bank the ballot, whatever. Vote by mail. We're not voting by mail. Give, give me a fucking break. These people are. These people are, rhinos. The bank the vote is a rhino movement. This is an RNC rhino movement. We're voting on the day of elections. We are voting on the day of elections. You overwhelm the system. You make them pull out every stop they need. Every stop. You make them pull out every trick in the book to cheat. And maybe that won't even do it. But like I said the other day on War Room, I said it. This election ain't just about the, the, the material result, the math at the end, when 30 days from, from, uh, f- from November, you know, sometime in December, when they finally, when they finally declare a winner. This ain't, just about the, this ain't just about the outcome of the election on paper. This is about the spirit of the election and whether or not the American people are involved in the process enough to understand or have that, that intuition if there is some, some you know uh, cheating that takes place. It's just as much about that as it is about the outcome, the spirit of the election the spiritual outcome of the election? Do the American people feel that the process was legitimate?
1: And even if they haven't before, every
0: time it happens, it, gets a, it, you know, it, it always gets a little bit harder to cover up a lie. It always gets a little bit more difficult. At some point, you reach a level where the people who are being lied to have to have some sort of complicitness They have to be complicit in the lie for it to even carry on.
1: You reach that level.
0: And we've approached that moment here in this country where people understand what Donald Trump represents as a threat to the establishment. Black, white, green, or yellow. And this this election and the results should reflect that. And if they don't, We'll have two choices on our hands. Either the establishment is going to go full-blown, tyrannical, new world order, martial law, or they're going to cook up some type of disaster and crisis to make
1: you beg for tyranny, or the people are finally going to say, oh,
0: oh, whoa, 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 something didn't go right here. But we're complicit. We, we, we like the convenience of what we have so much. We'll overlook, we'll, we'll, we'll look past it. We'll look past the corruption which we've, we've done a lot of up until this point, or the people are finally going to say, we, we, we're, we're done, we've had enough, we've had a belly full of it. And we're not going to let bread rise another 100% so you all can go steal the natural resources there in the Middle East. On behalf of the Europeans, we're
2: not doing it. Donald Trump 2024. That's
1: it,
0: and that's all. It's not about Donald Trump personally. (laughs) I've said this all I've said this a few times before, but I'll say it again. They want to make it seem like Donald Trump's uh, you know, flaws, personal flaws, his unethical or immoral character is the sole source of their their obsession with taking him out, taking him off the ballot, putting him in prison. But we know that's not true. And how do we know that's not true? We know that's not true because you could pull down any one of these cultural, globalist, uh, yuppie, posh, omnisexual, cosmopolitan, scientific managerial elites. We can pull any one of them, put them up on the stage and, and, and test their own ethics and morals against his. And many of them have already been implicated in some shit that's way more grimy than tax returns. That's way more grimy than than some phone conversation about about grabbing a woman by the vagina. Way more grimy than that. Some stuff that's way, way darker off into the world of, of, of security state collaborated operations. To blackmail American politicians or politicians all all over the world through through agencies, security state agencies, intelligence community agencies with operatives and assets like uh,
2: Jeffrey Epstein. Knowingly, willingly participate.
0: Oh, there's something they know that we don't know. And there's a reason they want to put Donald Trump in jail. But I guarantee you this. It ain't because he's involved with them in that and on those things, because if he's involved in them on those things, they try to protect him, like they're trying to protect the other people who were involved with them
1: on those things. You don't
0: see it. You don't see the little the little cohort of cultural elite that are trying to protect each other, that are trying to blend each, that are trying to blend in with one another. They're trying to hide themselves through a, a cultural consensus that's manufactured right here on your phone for you to be able to read and go, oh yeah. Is that that what we think? Is that is that what we think? Oh, that that oh that's what that's what Oprah and Dwayne The Rock Johnson think about Maui, huh? Oh, okay. Cause if if Oprah and Dwayne The Rock Johnson think it, well then hey, I mean the establishment is okayed, so I guess it's safe to, safe to go with. <clears throat> I can't tell you how embarrassing it is to watch all you black folks out there talk about racism in a guilty system. Talk about racism in a guilty system that I'm sure you're going to continue to, to puppet, parrot today on Martin Luther King Day, Dr. Martin Luther King Day. I can't believe you all talk about these things and turn around and bend the knee to the same system that's trying to take the very rights that Dr. Martin Luther King worked so hard to,
2: to give you access to. The right to be educated.
0: Now they're going to take your public schools like they did there in New York City and bring illegal immigrants. And house them in the public school and then tell the kids that, that and, you know cancel school on the kids to house illegal immigrants?
1: You gotta be kidding me. House them in the football stadium. How about how about we stop how about we stop NFL football? House them at the basketball stadium. Oh, we can't oh that oh you see what's going on here? You see what's going on
2: here? The school, you know, that, the, the, the education, that's expendable. But the,
0: the circus, the jerk off is never expendable. I don't think I could come up with a, this is why I just come up here with no notes for, for an hour, two hours and just go. I don't think I could come up with a better example of the sort of posh, yuppie, liberal, globalist, cosmopolitan, omnisexual, aristocratic, scientific, managerial elite that we live under than that. Our elites think that the education there in New York City is expendable, but the professional sports must go on.
2: The show must go on. Tune in tomorrow.
0: Tune in tomorrow for the John Fred the, the premiere. Sorry. Tune in tomorrow for the premiere of the Royce White radio show. The Royce White Radio Show on the John Fredericks Radio Network. It'll be premiering at 8 p.m. Eastern time. On Wednesday, we're going to have Please Call Me Crazy again. Friday, we're going to have Please Call Me Crazy again. We're going to post the radio show on youtube royce white usa at royce white usa on youtube that's my youtube channel Uh, we're going to be posting the radio show daily on that channel as well uh, keeping it separate from the podcast for obvious reasons because we're living under the dark cloud of censorship from big tech the royce white show coming January 27th, I want to say. Let's see here. January 27th, Saturday morning, Saturday evening, and Sunday morning, I believe, you will be able to see the Royce White Show on Real America's Voice. We finally struck a deal with Real America's Voice, the good people over there Real America's Voice, to to host the Royce White Show, the the one-day-a-week special, Uh, Royce White show that's separate from Please Call Me Crazy, that's separate from the radio show, one day a week on Saturday nights, on Saturday mornings, you'll be able to watch the Royce White show on Real America's Voice so that is coming as well and we will probably be posting that on the Royce White USA YouTube channel uh, for your your viewership and listenership too Um, that reminds me I gotta get a I'm going to have to I'm going to have to create a new podcast channel as well for all of you who listen on the audio platforms with the Royce White show and the radio show on there in podcast form so you can you can listen back to it on on all the major platforms. We'll have to get that set up over the next few days here. Um but to end again, the identity politics thing is is absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous. On Martin Luther King Day, you can be sure that the establishment is going to use the iconic black Americans who fought for you to have citizenship. They're going to use them
2: to undermine your citizenship, to take the rights that they fought for you to have. There's nothing remotely appropriate about that. There's
0: nothing, there's nothing honorable about allowing about allowing people to do that to you. Don't let them use your identity to ruin your life. Don't let them use your identity to take your rights. Don't let them take your rights in your name. If they're going to take their rights, have them, force them, make them take your rights in the name of what it really is. Their own elitism, their own ambitions, their unfettered ambitions. Make them take your rights in the name of what it actually is. Don't let them use you as a cover. Don't let them use you as some prop, as some puppet in the scam, in the show, in the circus, in the theater. Don't let them use Obama and Michelle and Kamala and, and, and Jean Pierre and, and, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And Van Jones and we could keep naming them, Joy Ann Reed and, and don't let them use all these black bourgeois elite sellouts to take your rights you're an American citizen, where are you going to live? You're not going to live in Africa. You're not going to live in Europe. You're not going to live in China. They're definitely not letting you come live in China. You're not going to live in Israel. They're not going to live anywhere that they want to go and fight and promulgate these wars and support these other people's ambitions, support these other people's livelihood. You live here and the more you let them use your identity and the value of the citizenship that you have here, to go on some some, uh, unquantifiable adventure or mission there, the longer it's gonna take you to have prosperity, to have wellness, to have have well-being, to have self-governance. And even if you can't be the richest man in the world, even if you can't be the healthiest man in the world, at least you can govern yourself, at least you can be free. We appreciate your viewership and listenership today in the future. Visit freepeopleradio.com to find out where you can watch and listen to the podcast, as well as visit our store. You can also go to freepeopleradio.store directly, uh, where you can buy merchandise and things related to the podcast, myself and Professor Penn, Professor Penn Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to that as well on YouTube. It's a wealth of knowledge. A lot of the intellectual work that, that is informing uh, the podcast, Professor Penn goes over in great detail with history and graphics and whole whole deal. Um, it's, a, it's a classroom in and of itself. Roycewhite.us, Senator Amy Klobuchar, you should resign. Diversity, equity, and inclusion calls for you to resign from the United States Senate campaign here at race here in Minnesota in just enough time to allow me to be elected. If you do not, Amy Klobuchar, you are a racist by your own standards. Because anytime a white person doesn't give up their 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 position of of, of privilege for for some uh, oppressed and, and and you know disadvantaged black person, then 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 we should all we should all just cry, break out in tears. We should all try and persecute that person, right? Right? Anybody who doesn't submit to DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, Marxism, communism, we should should persecute that person. We should prosecute that person. They they deserve to die, right? Ain't that what what the movement calls for? Well,
1: proceed, Amy. I'm here to run for United States Senate, and you, liberal, affluent, middle-aged,
0: white woman of privilege, are standing in my way. Feel free. Proceed, follow your own, lead by example. Oh, 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 no, I forgot, I forgot. It's only black lives matter if you vote Democrat. Rules for me, not for thee, we get it. Anyway, roycewhite.us, Senate campaign website where you can fig- f- find more information about the real platform of the people who are running for office, who, who want to represent you should be, should be talking about, the, the issues they should be running on. The border, the debt, forever wars. That's the shit that matters to me. The color game is for, for, for WWE politicians. Don't give a shit about it. But I do want them to live up to their own, their own expectations if they're going to be in the public on Twitter talking about all of these inclusive matters like a, a, a St. Paul City Council who recently had the, her, her historic moment, made her story, they actually had the audacity on national primetime television and radio to say the word her story. Like in, in, in reference to the, the St. Paul City Council that for the first time is all, all women, all women of all different, all different races, you know, uh, uh, diversity. I, I I don't even I don't even know. And, and who gives a shit? I'm not saying an all woman city council couldn't do some good. But when you lead with when you celebrate the city council. Being all women before they've done any work and you use that as, as a proof that that this is a celebratory moment, I know we're starting off from a bad place. This ain't starting well. This, this ain't off to a good foot here in the city of St. Paul, our capital city in the state of Minnesota. This ain't starting off well. Nothing that is done on the basis of identity alone is a cause for celebration. It's about the merit of the work that is done. If I show up to the basketball court and uh, just, uh, uh, hey, hey, I'm the shortest guy here. Let's celebrate. I, I, I got, I, I'm here at the court. I'm the shortest guy. Ain't that a cause for celebration? I'm black. I'm here. I'm at the court. Ain't that a cause? No, we're about to play a game. Can you score? Can you defend? Can you run? Can you anticipate? Can you see? Are you willing to give up your own, you know, your your own vision of your own identity for the betterment of the team and the collective? What are you willing to sacrifice? How, How unselfish are you? Do you have an understanding of the game? These things are what are co- become cause for, for results and then later on become cause for celebration.
2: Not identity in and of itself. What else? royswhite.us, the
0: Senate campaign website. You can go there and make a donation freepeopleradio.com, tireget.com. You can go, you know, you got to buy tires. Everybody has to buy tires. Next time you buy tires, it could be today. It could be in the future. Whenever you get ready to buy tires again, buy tires from us. We make it fast and easy. They can they can ship them to you and have them installed right there in your local local area. Um, so help support the movement. Um, there are very few companies that have have made themselves a part of what we call the patriot al- economy, the alternative economy, the parallel economy which we need, and that is that is the next hill for us to climb and cross, we have to create institutions of our own, again, but that starts with helping vote with your dollar. This is a political process, political season, get involved in politics, go to precinctstrategy.com, learn how to get involved in politics. We're gonna be putting out information on the Royce White USA YouTube channel about how to get involved in uh, caucuses and and. and become precinct committeemen and all of those things so you can be well-equipped to be involved in the political process. But we also vote with our
2: dollar, and you can be conscious of that all year long. So, tireget.com. If you have to buy tires,
0: buy them from us. Help fund the movement. Um, That's it for me. Please tune in tomorrow night on the John Fredericks Radio Network at 8 p.m. Eastern for the Royce White Radio Show. Um, And then get ready for January 27th, the Royce White Show on Real America's Voice will be premiering on Saturday morning, I believe, right after Bannon's War Room. So we are excited about that. And shout-out to Steve Bannon and the whole War Room Posse, Maureen Bannon, Grace Chong, uh, the Real America first hitters who are holding the line I am so thankful that Steve Bannon is going to work on Speaker Mike Johnson. I told you guys, and we, we, said, it back, we said it back then, don't blame Matt Gates. Matt Gaetz did what Matt Gaetz was supposed to do. Kevin McCarthy was corrupt. He was, he was carrying a $500 million war chest, spreading it around there in D.C. He, he, he's uniparty to the max, a punter kick-the-can sort of politician. We had to get him out of there. And, and there were a bunch of people that came up, that Jim Jordan, and who knows if any of these people would have stood on what they said they would do. And Mike Johnson came up, stood up, and in front of the entire country, used and wrapped himself in the cloth of Christ and Christianity and God to gain the trust of America first, to gain the trust of MAGA, and he punted, kicked the can. And they're going to go to work on them now. And they're right to do so. And all of you, and guess what? He should resign too. Turnover. Turnover. No problem. Don't let them scare you, fear-monger. We got to do the people's business. The government's got to run. Now even Marjorie Taylor Greene's coming home. And I still don't trust Marjorie. But I, but I, I respect what Marjorie's doing in this Fauci, the Fauci investigation. I respect that she's calling Speaker Mike Johnson out for who he really is. Like I told you all before, wherever you are is not a final destination. People can be redeemed, and that's what we Christians have to believe. And I'm watching Marjorie because I've seen her colors before, but she also can say she's watching me, and I like that. Put the things I'm saying to the test. The three main issues for America First and MAGA are the border, the debt, the forever wars. We'll deal with the elections, we'll deal with the trade, we'll deal with the administrative state, but the biggest issues for us politically are the debt, the border, and the forever wars. If you have a problem with that, you have a problem with with understanding the value of your citizenship. And again, I say to, to, to leave you, do not let them use Dr. Martin Luther King, who fought for you to have civil rights The civil rights of American citizenship do not let them use his legacy, his his historic and iconic life to take your rights from you. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. Donald Trump 2024 for United States president.
2: Godspeed.
3: Now there are several things that uh, one could talk about before such a large, uh, concerned, and enlightened audience. Uh, There are so many problems facing our nation and our world that one could just take off anywhere. But today I would like to talk mainly about the race problem since I'll have to rush right out and go to New York to talk about Vietnam tomorrow, and I've been talking about it a great deal uh, this week and weeks before that, but I'd like to use as a subject from which to speak uh, this afternoon the other America. And I use this subject because there are literally two Americas. One America is beautiful for a situation. And in a sense, this America is overflowing with the milk of prosperity and the honey of opportunity. This America is the habitat of millions of people who have food and material necessities for their bodies, and culture and education for their minds, and freedom and human dignity for their spirits. In this America, millions of people experience every day the opportunity of having life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in all of their dimensions. And in this America, millions of young people grow up in the sunlight of opportunity. But tragically and unfortunately, there is another America. This other America has a daily ugliness about it that constantly transforms the buoyancy of hope into the fatigue of despair. In this America, millions of work-starved men walk the streets daily in search for jobs that do not exist. In this America, millions of people find themselves living in rat-infested, vermin-filled slums. In this America, people are poor by the millions and they find themselves perishing on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. In a sense, the greatest tragedy of this other America is what it does to little children. Little children in this other America are forced to grow up with clouds of inferiority forming every day in their little mental skies. And as we look at this other America, we see it as an arena of blasted hopes and shattered dreams. Many people of various backgrounds live in this other America. uh, America. Some are Mexican-Americans, some are Puerto Ricans, some are Indians, uh, some uh, happen to be from other groups. Millions of them are Appalachian whites, Probably the largest group in this other America in proportion to its size and the population is the American Negro. The American Negro finds himself living in a triple ghetto, a ghetto of race, a ghetto of poverty, a ghetto ...is to deal with this problem, to deal with this problem of the two Americas. We are seeking to make America one nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Now let me say that the struggle for civil rights and the struggle to make these two Americas one America is much more difficult today than it was five or 10 years ago for about a decade or maybe 12 years. We struggled all across the South in glorious struggles to get rid of legal, overt segregation and all of the humiliation that surrounded that system of segregation. In a sense, this was a struggle for decency. We could not go to a lunch counter in so many instances and get a hamburger or a cup of coffee. We could not make use of public accommodations. Public transportation was segregated and often we had to sit in the back and within transportation, uh, transportation within cities, we often had to stand over empty seats because sections were reserved for whites only. We did not have the right to vote in so many areas of the South. And the struggle was to deal with these problems. Now, certainly, they were difficult problems. They were humiliating conditions. By the thousands, we protested these conditions. We made it clear that it was ultimately more honorable to accept jail cell experiences than to accept segregation and humiliation. By the thousand, students and adults decided to sit in at segregated lunch counters to protest conditions there. And When they were sitting at those lunch counters, they were in reality standing up for the best in the American dream. And seeking to take the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy which were dug deep by the Founding Fathers in the formulation of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Many things were gained as a result of these years of struggle. In 1964, the Civil Rights Bill came into being, after the Birmingham movement, which did a great deal to subpoena the conscience of a large segment of the nation to appear before the judgment seat of morality on the whole question of civil rights. After the Selma movement in 1965, we were able to get a voting rights bill. Now all of these things represented strides, but we must see that the struggle today is much more difficult. It's more difficult today because we are struggling now for genuine equality. And it's much easier to integrate a lunch counter than it is to guarantee a livable income and a good solid job. It's much easier to guarantee the right to vote than it is to guarantee the right to live in sanitary, decent housing conditions. It is much easier to integrate a public park than it is to make genuine quality integrated education a reality. And so today we are struggling for something which says we demand genuine equality. It's not merely a struggle against extremist behavior toward Negroes. And I'm convinced that many of the very people who supported us in the struggle in the South are not willing to go all the way now. I came to see this in a very difficult and painful way in Chicago over the last year where I've lived and worked. Some of the people who came quickly to march with us in Selma and Birmingham were active around Chicago. And I came to see that so many people who supported morally and even financially what we were doing in Birmingham and Selma were really outraged against the extremist behavior of Bull Connor and Jim Clark toward Negroes rather than believing in genuine equality for Negroes. And I think this is what we've got to see now, and this is what makes the struggle much more difficult. And so as a result of all of this, we see many problems existing today that are growing more difficult. It's something that is often overlooked but Negroes generally live in worse slums today than 20 or 25 years ago. In the North, schools are more segregated today than they were in 1954 when the Supreme Court's decision on desegregation was rendered. Economically, the Negro is worse off today than he was 15 and 20 years ago. And so the unemployment rate among whites at one time was about the same as the unemployment rate among Negroes. But today the unemployment rate among Negroes is twice that of whites. And the average income of the Negro is today 50% less than whites as we look at these problems, we see them growing and developing every day. And we see the fact that the Negro economically is facing a depression in his everyday life that is more staggering than the depression of the 30s. The unemployment rate of the nation as a whole is about 4%. Statistics would say from the Labor Department that among Negroes it's about 8.4%. But these are the persons who are in the labor market who still go to employment agencies to seek jobs and so they can be calculated. The statistics can be gotten because they are still somehow in the labor market. But there are hundreds of thousands of Negroes who have given up, they've lost hope, They come to feel that life is a long and desolate corridor for them with no exit sign. And so they no longer go to look for a job. There are those who would estimate that these persons who are called the discouraged persons would be six or seven percent in the Negro community. And that means that unemployment among Negroes may well be 16 percent. Among Negro youth in some of our large uh, urban areas, it goes to 30 and 40 percent. And so you can see what I mean when I say that in the Negro community, that is a major, tragic and staggering depression uh, that we face in our everyday lives. Now, the other thing that we've got to come to see now that many of us didn't see too well during the last 10 years, And that is that racism is still alive in American society and much more widespread than we realize. And we must see racism for what it is. It is a myth of the superior and the inferior race. It is the false and tragic notion that one particular group One particular race is responsible for all of the progress, all of the insights, and the total flow of history. And the theory that another group or another race is totally depraved, innately impure, and innately inferior. In the final analysis, racism is evil because this Its ultimate logic is genocide. Hitler was a sick and tragic man who carried racism to its logical conclusion. And he ended up leading a nation to the point of killing about six million Jews. And this is a tragedy of racism because its ultimate logic is genocide. If one says that I'm not good enough to live next door to him, If one says that I am not good enough to eat at a lunch counter or to have a good decent job or to go to school with him merely because of my race, he is saying consciously or unconsciously that I do not deserve to exist. To use a philosophical analogy here, racism is not based on some empirical generalization, it is based rather on an ontological affirmation. It is not the assertion that certain people are behind culturally or otherwise because of environmental conditions. It is the affirmation that the very being of a people is inferior. And this is the great tragedy of it. I say that however unpleasant it is, we must honestly see and admit that racism is still deeply rooted all over America is still deeply rooted in the North, and it's still deeply rooted in the South. Now this leads me to say something about another discussion that we hear a great deal, and that is the so-called white backlash. And I would like to honestly say to you that the white backlash is merely a new name for an old phenomenon. It's not something that just came into being because shouts of shouts of black power or because Negroes engaged in riots in Watts, for instance. The fact is that the state of California voted a fair housing bill out of existence before anybody shouted black power or before anybody rioted in Watts. It may well be that shouts of black power and riots in Watts and the Hollands and the other areas are the consequences of the white backlash rather than the cause of them. What it is necessary to see is that there has never been a single solid monistic determined commitment on the part of the vast majority of white Americans. The whole question of civil rights and on the whole question of racial equality this is something that truth impels all men of goodwill to admit it is said on the statue of liberty that america is a home of exiles but it doesn't take us long to realize that america has been the home of its white exiles from europe but it has not evinced the same kind of maternal care and concern for its black exiles from Africa. And it is no wonder that in one of his sorrow songs a Negro could sing out, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. What great estrangement, what great sense of rejection caused the people to emerge with such a metaphor as they looked over their lives. What I'm trying to get across is that our nation has constantly taken a positive step forward on the question of racial justice and racial equality. But over and over again at the same time, it made certain backward steps. And this has been the persistence of the so-called white backlash in 1863 The Negro was freed from the bondage of physical slavery, but at the same time, the nation refused to give him land to make that freedom meaningful. And at that same period, America was giving millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that America was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor that would make it possible to grow and develop, and refuse to give that economic floor to its black peasant, so to speak. And this is why Frederick Douglass could say that emancipation for the Negro was freedom to hunger, freedom to the winds and rains of heaven, freedom without roofs to cover their heads, He went on to say that it was freedom without bread to eat, freedom without land to cultivate. It was freedom and famine at the same time. But it does not stop there. In 1875, the nation passed a civil rights bill and refused to enforce it. In 1964, the nation passed a weaker civil rights bill. And even to this day, that bill has not been totally enforced in all of its dimensions. The nation heralded a new day of concern for the poor, for the poverty-stricken, for the disadvantaged, and brought into being a poverty bill. But at the same time, it put such little money into the program that it was hardly and still remains hardly a good skirmish against poverty. White politicians in suburbs talk eloquently against open housing and in the same breath contend that they are not racist. Now all of this and all of these things tell us that America has been backlashing on the whole question of basic constitutional and God-given rights for Negroes and other disadvantaged groups for more than 300 years. So these conditions, the persistence of widespread poverty, of slums and of tragic conditions in schools and other areas of life, all of these things have brought about a great deal of despair and a great deal of desperation great deal of disappointment and even bitterness in the Negro communities. Today all of our cities confront huge problems. All of our cities are potentially powder kegs as a result of the continued existence of these conditions. Many in moments of anger, many in moments of deep bitterness, engage in riots. Let me say, as I've always said, and I will always continue to say, that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than they will solve. That in a real sense it is impractical for the Negro to even think of mounting a violent revolution in the United States. So I will continue to condemn riots and continue to say to my brothers and sisters that this is not the way. Continue to affirm that there is another way But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to feel that they must engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. What is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. Now, let me go on to say that if we are to deal with all of the problems that I've talked about, if we are to bring America to the point that we have one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all, there are certain things that we must do. The job ahead must be massive and positive. We must develop massive action programs all over the United States of America in order to deal with the problems that I have mentioned. Now, in order to develop these massive action programs, we've got to get rid of one or two false notions that continue to exist in our society. One is the notion that only time can solve the problem of racial injustice. I'm sure you've heard this idea it is the notion almost that there is something in the, vera, the very flow of time that will miraculously cure all evils. And I've heard this over and over again. There are those, and they're often sincere people, who say to Negroes and their allies in the white community that we should slow up and just be nice and patient and continue to pray, and in 100 two, or 200 years, the problem will work itself out. Because only time can solve the problem. Well, I think that is an answer to that myth. And it is that time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. And I'm absolutely convinced that the forces of ill will in our nation, the extreme rightists in our nation, have often used time much more effectively than the forces of goodwill. It may well be that we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words of the bad people and the violent actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. Somewhere we must come to see that social progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals, and without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the primitive forces of social stagnation. And so we must help time, and we must realize that the time is always right to do right. Now, there's another notion that gets out. It's around everywhere. the South, it's in the North, it's in California and all over our nation. It's a notion that legislation can't solve the problem, it can't do anything in this area. And those who (coughs) project this argument contend that you've got to change the heart and that you can't change the heart through legislation. Now, I would be the first one to say that there is real need for a lot of heart changing in our country, and uh, I believe in changing the heart. I preach about it. I believe in the need for conversion in many instances, and regeneration, to use theological terms. And I would be the first to say that if the race problem in America is to be solved, the white person must treat the Negro right not merely because the law says it, but because it's natural, because it's right, and because the Negro is his brother. And so I realize that if we are to have a truly integrated society, men and women will have to rise to the majestic heights of being obedient to the unenforceable. But after saying this, let me say, Another thing which gives the other side and that is that although it may be true that morality cannot be legislated, behavior can be regulated, even though it may be true that the law cannot change the heart, it can restrain the heartless, even though it may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, it can restrain him from lynching me, and I think that's pretty important also. And so while the law may not change the hearts of men, it can and it does change the habits of men. And when you begin to change the habits of men, pretty soon the attitudes will be changed, pretty soon the hearts will be changed. I'm convinced that we still need strong civil rights legislation, and there's a bill before Congress right now to have a national a federal open housing bill, a federal law declaring discrimination in housing unconstitutional, and also a bill to make the administration of justice real all over our country. Now, nobody can doubt the need for this. Nobody can doubt the need if he thinks about the fact that since 1963 some 58 Negroes and white civil rights workers have been brutally murdered in the state of Mississippi alone. Not a single person has been convicted for these dastardly crimes. There have been some indictments, but no one has been convicted. And so there is a need for the whole question of the administration of justice. There is a need for fair housing laws all over our country. And it is tragic indeed that Congress last year allowed this bill to die. And that bill died in Congress, a bit of democracy died, a bit of our commitment to justice died. And if it happens again in this section, session of Congress, greater degree of our commitment to democratic principles will die. And I can see no more dangerous trend in our country than the constant developing of predominantly Negro central cities ringed by white suburbs. This is only inviting social disaster. And the only way this problem will be solved is by the nation taking a strong stand and by state governments taking a strong stand against housing segregation and against discrimination in all of these areas. Now there's another thing that I'd like to mention as I talk about the Massive Action Program and time will not permit me to go into specific programmatic action to any great degree. But it must be realized now that The Negro cannot solve the problems by himself. There again, there are those who always say to Negroes, Why don't you do something for yourself? Why don't you lift yourselves by your own bootstraps? And we hear this over and over again. Now, certainly. There are many things that we must do for ourselves and that only we can do for ourselves. Certainly we must develop within a sense of dignity and self-respect that nobody else can give us, a sense of manhood, a sense of personhood, a sense of not being ashamed of our heritage, not being ashamed of our color. It was wrong and tragic that the Negro ever allowed himself to be ashamed of the fact that he was black, or ashamed of the fact that his home, ancestral home, was African. And so there's a great deal that the Negro can do to develop self-respect. There's a great deal that the Negro must do and can do to amass political and economic power within his own community and by using his own resources. And so we must do certain things for ourselves, but this must not negate the fact and cause the nation to overlook the fact that the Negro cannot solve the problem himself. A man was on the plane with me some weeks ago and he came and talked with me and he said, "Uh, the problem, Dr. King, that I see with what you all are doing is that every time I see you and other Negroes, you are protesting and you aren't, you aren't doing anything for yourselves. And he went on to tell me that he was very poor at one time and he was able to make it by doing something for himself. Why don't you teach your people, he said, to live themselves by their own bootstraps. And then he went on to say other groups uh, face disadvantages, the Irish, the Italians, and he went down the line. And I said to him, that it does not help the Negro, it only deepens his frustration for unfeeling and sensitive people to say to him that other ethnic groups who migrated or were immigrants to this country just a hundred years ago or so, have gotten beyond him, and he came here some 344 years ago. And I went on to remind him that the Negro came to this country involuntarily in chains, while others came voluntarily. I went on to remind him that no other racial group has been a slave on American soil. I went on to remind him that the other problem that we have faced over the years is that the society placed a stigma on the the color of the Negro, on the color of his skin, because he was black doors were closed to him that were not closed to other groups. And I'm to say to people that you ought to lift yourself by your own bootstraps, but it is a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. The fact is that millions of Negroes, as a result of centuries of denial and neglect, have been left bootless. They find themselves impoverished aliens in this affluent society. And that is a great deal that the society can and must do if the Negro is to gain the economic security that he needs. Now, one of the answers, it seems to me, is a guaranteed uh, annual income, a guaranteed minimum income for all people and for all families of our country. It seems to me. <laughs> it seems to me that the civil rights movement must now begin to organize for the guaranteed annual income, begin to organize people all over our country and mobilise forces so that we can bring to the attention of our nation this need and this something, which I believe will go a long, long way toward dealing with the Negro's economic problem and the economic problem with many other poor people confronting our nation. Now, I said I wasn't gonna talk about Vietnam, but I can't make a speech without mentioning some of the problems that we face there because... <laughs> Because I think this war has diverted attention from civil rights, it has strengthened the forces of reaction in our country and has brought to the forefront the military-industrial complex that even President Eisenhower warned us against at one time. And above all, it is destroying human lives. It's destroying the lives of thousands of the young promising men of our nation drawing the lives of little boys and little girls in Vietnam, but one of the greatest things that this war is doing to us in civil rights is that it is allowing the great society to be shot down on the battlefields of Vietnam every day. And I submit this afternoon that we can end poverty in the United States. Our nation has the resources to do it. The national gross product of America will rise to the astounding figure of some eight hundred dollars this year. We have the resources. The question is whether well, the nation has the will. And I submit that if we can five billion dollars a year to fight an ill-considered war in Vietnam and twenty billion dollars to put a man on the moon. Our nation can spend billions of dollars and on their own two feet right here on Earth. Let me say another thing that's more in the realm of the spirit, I guess. That is, if we are to go on in the days ahead and make true brotherhood a reality, it is necessary for us to realize more than ever before that the destinies of the Negro and the white man are tied together. Now, there are still a lot of people who don't realize this. The races still don't realize this. But it is a fact now that Negroes and whites are tied together and we need each other. The Negro needs the white man to save him from his fear. The white man needs the Negro to save him from his guilt. We are tied together in so many ways, our language, Our music, our cultural patterns, our material prosperity, and even our food are an amalgam of black and white. And so there can be no separate black path to power and fulfillment that does not intersect white roots. there can be no separate white path to power and fulfillment short of social disaster. It does not recognize the need of sharing that power with black aspirations for freedom and justice. We must come to see now that integration is not merely a romantic or aesthetic something where you merely add color to a still predominantly white power structure. Integration must be seen also on political terms where there is shared power and where black men and white men share power together to build a new and a great nation in a real sense we're all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny john Don placed it years ago in graphic terms no man is an island in of itself. every man is a piece of the continent a part of the main and he goes on toward the end to say any man's death diminishes me because i'm involved in mankind Therefore, never sin to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee." And so we all, in the same situation, the salvation of the Negro will mean the salvation of the white man, and the destruction of the life and of the ongoing progress of the Negro will be the destruction of the ongoing progress of the nation. Now let me say finally that we have difficult days ahead but I haven't despaired. Somehow I maintain hope in spite of hope and I've talked about the difficulties and how hard the problems will be as we tackle them. But I want to close by saying this afternoon that I still have faith in the future and I still believe that These problems can be solved. And so I will not join anyone who will say that we still can't develop a coalition of conscience. I realize and understand the discontent and the agony and the disappointment and even the bitterness of those who feel that whites in America cannot be trusted. And I would be the first to say that they are all too many who are still guided by the racist ethos. but I am still convinced that there are still many white persons of goodwill, and I'm happy to say that I see them every day in the student generation, who cherish democratic principles and justice above principle, and who will stick with the cause of justice and the cause of civil rights and the cause of peace throughout the days ahead. And so I refuse to despair. I think we're gonna achieve our freedom because however much America strays away from the ideals of justice, the goal of America is freedom. Abused and scorned though we may be, our destiny is tied up in the destiny of America. Before the Pilgrim Fathers landed at Plymouth, we were here. Before Jefferson etched across the pages of history the majestic words of the Declaration of Independence, we were here. Before the beautiful words of the Star-Spangled Banner were written, we were here. For more than two centuries, our forebears labored here without wages. They made cotton king, they built the homes of their masters in the midst of the most humiliating and oppressive conditions and yet out of a bottomless vitality they continued to grow and develop and i say that if the inexpressible cruelties of slavery couldn't stop us the opposition that we now face including the so-called white backlash will surely fail we're going to win our freedom because both the sacred of our nation and the eternal will of the almighty God are embodied in our echoing demands. And so I can still sing, we shall overcome. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. We shall overcome because Carlyle is right. No lie can live forever. We shall overcome because William Bryant is right. Truth, Christ, earth will rise again shall overcome because James Russell Lowell is right, truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. With faith, we will be able to hew out of the mounting of despair, a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to speed up the day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and live together as brothers and sisters all over this great nation. That will be a great day, that will be a great tomorrow. In the words sure to speak symbolically, that will be the day when the morning stars will sing together. And the sons of God will shout for joy. Thank you.